Hello, and welcome to the CDO Magazine interview series. I'm Ben Blancara with Rackspace Technology, a leading provider of multi-cloud services for firms on the data and analytics modernization journey. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Jason Beyer, VP Data and Analytics at Bridgestone. Good morning, Jason. Hi, Ben. Great to talk with you. Great talking with you. Let's let's get right in right into it. I was doing a little research, like Bridgestone tires, like you know, the largest uh, provider of tires and, and, and things, and I'm sure they do a ton more. But let's start with this. Please tell us a little about yourself, your role, and your career path. Absolutely. So for everyone's benefit, I'm Jason Beyer. I lead uh, data and analytics at Bridgestone, uh, based out of Nashville, Tennessee, which is the headquarters of our largest subsidiary that we refer to as Bridgestone Americas. Uh, and as part of our global family of the Bridgestone Group, uh, headquartered out of Tokyo, Japan. Uh, so I have the privilege of leading our data and analytics organization, our center of expertise uh, within, within the entity, as well as leading our global uh, community of, of data and analytics professionals across our many different entities within, within Bridgestone globally. Uh, I also uh, have the distinction of being the global CDO ambassador for the state of Tennessee as part of the CDO magazine and MIT CDO IQ. I'm really excited for the conference coming up this summer. Uh, if you're not attending or haven't uh, signed up yet, please do. It's a really uh, amazing agenda. And I want to take a minute to describe uh, how we've scoped data and analytics at Bridgestone, because as we've talked very often amongst uh, other data and analytics leaders, uh, every organization is figuring out, you know, what, how that, how does data and analytics work for them? How we've structured it within Bridgestone is I lead a center of expertise. So we've uh, we've brought together the 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 professionals in a full stack team, uh, really serving the enterprise in areas of business intelligence, data science and advanced analytics, AI, ML, uh, data engineering, as well as our cloud data platforms. It also includes data governance and data management. And uh, interestingly, we've also incorporated our integration services team. So this is all of our teams that manage our, our data connections with our customers and suppliers via EDI and commerce transactions as well as our API platform and our externally facing uh, data products and data assets. And last but not least is our HR analytics team as well, uh, also positioned to serve the enterprise. So that is really the scope of my role, how I got here from a career pathing perspective, uh, also really indicative of, of data and analytics leaders we see come from a business background or from a, from a deep uh, analytics background. My background is in technology. So I grew up through the tech, through the IT organization, uh, in a variety of capacities, uh, taking on increasing roles of responsibility. But through, throughout that whole thread, Ben, I was really driven and motivated on the next role that I could see. Where could I have a larger impact within the organization and within within the community as well? And really, the position I'm in uh, is a testament to that. It's really the the zenith of my career in in terms of having an impact uh, within the organization with data, with analytics capabilities, but also importantly, within the community and having that that peer group and how we contribute to society. Part of Bridgestone's mission statement is serving society with superior quality. That's not, that's not part of, that is our mission statement is serving okay. society with superior quality. As a testament to that mission statement, you know, part of our role is really operating 
and contributing to that community that we work in and live in and play. And as, as a, as an automotive, but a mobility company really contributing to how we move within uh, this community as well. And so that's uh, a little bit about my role and my background uh, and how I'm found myself leading data analytics at Bridgestone. Wow. What, what, what an amazing sort of uh, place to be to create impact. I mean, that that's gotta be, you know, when you think about sort of the scale, I mean, Bridgestone is a global company and, and I love sort of the notion where you said, you know, we're not a, 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 a tire company, you know, we're automotive, we're, we're a mobility company, which opens up a ton of, of really interesting sort of opportunities. Can you just sort of calibrate, like, how big is Bridgestone, Jason? Yeah, Bridgestone, uh, globally, we have uh, over 150,000 teammates. Um, we're a, a fortune uh, company globally as well. And so when you look at Bridgestone and its profile, not only are we the largest tire and rubber company and, and have been, uh, but the real pivot we're undergoing, Ben, is uh, we refer to it as Bridgestone 3.0. And this is our shift uh, from the founding of the company, mm-hmm. the mission statement of serving society with superior quality. Bridgestone 2.0 is really the convergence of two great companies, Bridgestone and Firestone, to become a truly global company. And Bridgestone 3.0 is this shift to being not only a great uh, products company with high quality, high performance tires and, and rubber products, but to also be a, a mobility solutions company and bringing solutions of how you're using and how you're moving uh, within within the world as well. And we feel like we're uniquely positioned to really bring unique solutions and intellectual property to this space. But as you can imagine, that shifts the persona of how we view our data assets and how we think about the opportunities to connect data, not only in how we're, you know, bringing products to market, but in the aftermarket, you know, how you're operating the vehicle, the performance of that tire, how it's matching with the road service conditions, how you're managing a fleet of vehicles and servicing that fleet of vehicles. There's incredibly rich data assets that we are bringing, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to market new solutions off of those data assets of the vehicle, as well as the tire that are matching how we want to serve economic needs, environmental needs, and and many, many others. So that's a real shift for for us as an organization. And I should also comment that Bridgestone, and and in my role as an enterprise um, center of expertise, we get to engage across that whole ecosystem. And not only does Bridgestone have scale and size, we're also highly vertically integrated. So we go all the way down to natural... um, raw material sourcing, all the way to B2C customer interactions and at scale. So for example, we have the largest company-owned operations around automotive service centers. We have over 2,200 points of sale under management. So that creates an incredible data asset for us to to leverage and really to Mm -hmm. optimize and how we serve uh, the customer, how we serve the consumer, and bring those solutions that help get everyone that help everyone maximize their their mobility. Wow, that 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 is, you know, I'm sort of just trying to take in like the 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 the, the theater of operation about the things you can get into is pretty broad, and 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 I would imagine when we think about 3.0 and and, and sort of the the increased uh, 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 digitization of and being able to play in all that that's a, you you are playing a, a pretty pivotal role in all that. Let me back up. So when we think about your office, I mean, because there's so many things you could do, 
Jason. Yes. <laughs> right? What are the top sort of ways that you think about how you your office creates value? Like, like you got to pick, right? Here's the two or three things that I got to have as my 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 Rosetta Stone. Everything else, great, but here's the top two or three things. How do you answer that question? What do you focus on? I think it starts with a connection back to the charter for our team. And when we formed this team three years ago as a brand new entity within the organization, we really were intentional with our leadership to establish a clear charter for data and analytics. And it was really set around three key pillars. One is connecting the enterprise through data and increasingly crossing the silos of the many different businesses and functions and connecting the data assets, treating all of our data as enterprise assets, which exposes increasing opportunities between the different entities. Second is really building a robust talent uh, framework and culture so that this skill set can be more pervasive in the organization and we can grow it and give people a career path and also reach those higher levels of, of maturity and capability. And the third, of course, is how do we accelerate value in the organization? How do we help us move faster uh, as, a, as a company? And before we get into some of the specific areas of value, uh, we've really taken a deliberate approach around how do we approach value opportunities and how do we make those choices? First, it starts with sponsorship. You need to have strong sponsorship of any use case to ensure that there's adoption. Too many times, and you can hear many different statistics on you know how many data analytics projects fail or don't get adopted fully. And those percentages are quite large and, and sometimes intimidating. But I think if you come back to making sure that there's really clear sponsorship up front, understanding your stakeholders, and even assessing not only are they engaged and willing to uh, you know jump into that that opportunity, but are they ready for it? And and making sure you're coaching up both of those dimensions. The second step is really around demand management and having a a mature thought process on how you think about demand, how you're anticipating areas of demand, and where you're investing you know, your resources, your, your finite constrained resources into, into given areas. And in some cases, I'll, I'll use a specific example, sustainability. Sustainability has always been part of our company strategy and, and part of our, our, our focus. But recently, as with Bridgestone, as with many companies, it's come more into the forefront in, in mm -hmm. our business model. We anticipated that and, and started to invest early in that space to take, to recognize that, for us to achieve our goals around sustainability and sustainable solutions for our customers, we needed a data-driven approach. And now we're part of the fabric of that sustainability team as one example. The third step is that's really been key for how we assess value is taking a dual speed approach. And what I mean by that is speed one is the speed of your organization. You need to deliver results quickly. They need insights quickly. Um, you know, they need access to data quickly. And sometimes you're going to design scenarios for that that might be suboptimal towards your longer term goal, which is speed two, which is designing those longer term capabilities, the integrated reference architecture that you're striving for to connect these things and build that, that maturation over time. And really applying those two speeds as you're thinking about solutions and recognizing which of these cases do we need to take a speed one approach to it you know, move things in the right direction. They may not be fully designed to the full scale and maybe your speed two capabilities aren't ready 
um, to be applied in that case. You need to build up capabilities in streaming data. You need to build up capabilities in AI and machine learning at scale. Mm -hmm. If those aren't ready, find pathways to to express that in in speed one that at least step you in that right direction while fulfilling the business need and achieving those quick wins. And the fourth the fourth area uh, when we've assessed value is really understanding those embedded teams within business and functions. We've taken a deliberate principle within our operating model and our organization principle is that we want data and analytics skill sets to be pervasive in every business and function. And part of my role and part of my team's role is to coach and develop and nurture those skill sets in each business and functional area. Because not only are we building something for them, we're building it with them. Part of our role is also building that within each business unit and function and continuing to, to do that. So through all four of those steps, it's helped us, it's helped us to narrow down those value cases, but also really target in what is the realistic value that can be achieved and applied and adopted? Because all too often you'll you'll hear a great you know data science model that can produce X million of results you know if if applied fully, but the reality is it may not be fully applied or adopted because of circumstances. And having all four of those components well aligned gives you better confidence about what is the actual value proposition of that work product of that item, of that feature, or that epic within within your Agile team and helps you categorize those things correctly. Um, that's how we've worked. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I, I love it. I mean, like, um, when you think about, and I'm just sort of reflecting, when you think about enterprise scale moving a, a, a large organization, having a, a systemic framework to evaluate what you work on in a portfolio view of this, Yes, is is a critical success factor. You know, without that, you're chasing the squirrel of the day. And 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 you can um, a lot of folks will mistake activity for outcome in in sort of this world. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that. You know, systemic four step framework and and I if nothing else that that's a huge takeaway from this is if you're going to be successful CEO, what it what is your framework for assessing value and, and you have well you have one <laughs> yeah, to, i believe ben it's also understanding the value drivers that are important to your organization and those can change over time um of course there's the the obvious things like revenue and operating margin and profit and yeah um, asset management and things along those lines and recognizing how are those important in the context of your stakeholder? Not every stakeholder is a is a is a PL center with revenue. Uh, they might be more concerned with free cash flow or return on invested capital. And how you evaluate those those circumstances in that in that framework within that process is incredibly important. How we've looked at that and, and applied that to give you some specific examples around things like revenue generation or revenue protection. So we operate our EDI landscape and, and the supporting services for e-commerce. And so how we think about maturity and stability within those processes is incredibly important because we have billions of revenue that flow through those systems every single day, high volume you know, transactions mm -hmm. every single day that need to work flawlessly or it affects our revenue recognition. Or as we think about something like free cash flow that... Um, you know, sometimes get 
gets disconnected of what is the value proposition of data management and data governance. Well, we've done the work to understand from, for example, customer onboarding. A lot of our customer onboarding processes, which we've been working to uh, improve in with adjacent teams and sales op, sales and operations and marketing, et cetera, we've recognized that the time that we can reduce to onboard or you know change you know customers, even through the customer master processes, affect free cash flow because you're talking about customers that are onboarding likely to place an order right? Or to uh, transact with you, um, hopefully in a positive way. And that can affect your whole cash conversion cycle and, and supporting attributes. And so recognizing those extended value propositions. And I think the, 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 the place around acceleration of value and looking at capabilities, um, I'll talk about return on invested capital. Part of our strategy has been really focusing as we've been building our cloud data platform, our API mm -hmm. platform, et cetera, is that reusability of data. Mm. So we've been building these multi-tenant, multi-service um, capabilities and platforms, really putting an emphasis around how can we make those things reusable because that helps us with the next use case go that much faster. They don't need to do the heavy lifting on things that are not differentiating for them. They can focus on their product strategy. They can focus on how they go to market, how they do customer segmentation. They don't need to worry on how are we building the next pipeline for that data asset when it already exists and they can reuse something that already uh, exists within the platform, maybe with some adjustments or some additional attribution or data blending, but really focus on that reusability has helped us um, deliver on that return on investment as well. Yeah, I would imagine that that focus on reusability and, and is, is is a a key um, what do you call it, accelerator for for value sort of creation because if you can start with eighty percent of built and then create the differentiation layer with that, that's that's massive. And then having an a explicit strategy around that, we want to reuse data. How yes. do we do that? And it's an asset, right? It's a, it's an invested app asset. That that that's pretty cool. I'm curious. So when, when you think about OKRs, right? And, and, and at the end of the day, when someone says, "Jason, here's the three things that I'm going to measure success on," how does how does Bridgestone look at the success? How, how would you measure it? Yeah, I think the three OKRs for us as a business organization are revenue, operating profit, and return on invested capital. And that's where the examples I was giving you of how we categorize our demand, how we prioritize our demand, really reflect and uh, come back to those three key OKRs as an organization as well. And the measurement of how we are holding ourselves accountable, how we're taking and evaluating value and, and tracking that after the fact uh, is really critically important to how we're showing our contribution to the organization and those broader um, company OKRs as well. Gotcha, gotcha, Jason. You know, we, we titled the, the, these interview series a field guide because it's about you know stuff that happens out out in the field and in real stories. Would you be? Uh, could you share a couple more sort of success stories of like stories yes. regarding how you've created value and and you know not just success and then if you're willing to share some lessons learned that would be great too. Yeah, one one aspect that I've encountered quite a bit. Um, in talking with with peers um, across various industries is this recognition that data and analytics as much of 
as we look at the the COE and the operating model of a COE uh, that you might be in charge of or, or operating or a part of, you have to recognize that this is also a team sport and you can't be successful without strong partners in IT, in shared services, and certainly with those embedded teams as well as the sponsorship. So those four key areas that you need to align with and make sure that there's there's you know a good understanding of roles and responsibilities that you have good operating agreements between you know, the interdependent services. An example mm-hmm. we have with our IT organization is um, I'm, I'm part of the IT organization and part of that leadership team. But as we've been building capabilities and maturing very quickly in data and analytics, we recognize that we also need to you know, really build in security by design. Think mm-hmm. about you know, new and advanced forms of identity and access management. Uh, the mm-hmm. landscape of data privacy and is changing very quickly. And so we need to really, especially across many different borders. So we need to really put those in evidence, build that in by design, how we're building our controls framework, especially in the cloud environment uh, with mm-hmm. sensitive data assets. And you know, some examples for us is we have, because we're a, a multi-channel organization in, in our selling strategy, we also have channel conflict. So we have a large retail organization, but we also sell to our tires through uh, dealerships that are competitors to them. And so how we treat that the, the data assets from both of those entities as enterprise data assets to really look at things like market share, sellout inventory, et cetera, we need to be able to preserve that and protect the integrity uh, between those two different entities and, and respect um, the channel conflict that exists there, mm-hmm. but also build in the governance processes so that we can, you know, be able to see customer journey mapping across different entities, um, as well as see the the other kind of opportunities that it, that exposes by having richer insights across channels. Got it. Got it. So, so this notion of it's a team sport, and what I just heard is one of the success stories of building the security access, privacy, all those kind of things. Uh, you've done you've been successful at building those things as you're building out your capabilities and crossing those silos by partnering partnering from the get-go. Yeah, maybe maybe another example of that is I'll reference back to those embedded teams within businesses and functions. Uh, we really view them as partners. We view them as innovators within their functional area. And by establishing a healthy relationship, We've empowered them with great tools, access to data, and by having a consulting partnership with them, they may have innovated something for their business unit or for their channel specifically. And what we've been able to do is advertise that, show that across other channels and be able back to the reusability, take and extend that across other areas. So um, one one real example is uh, a daily sales report on inventory and what's moving in a particular channel with, you know, kind of drill down capabilities into seeing what's my order bank, how are we processing it against budget, against forecasts, et cetera. Well, what was good for one channel, we quickly realized in conversation with sales leadership who had oversight over multiple channels is let's take and extend that across all of the channels, across all of the, the sales business units. 
And so now we, we've taken that on and produced that in partnership with each of those embedded teams who help us with data validation, checking, as well as when you have kind of the follow-on question of what isn't answered in the dashboard, we need kind of additional insight into why is share moving up and down. Um, that allows us to have a strong partnership. But those are good examples where encouraging those embedded teams to innovate and to build their capabilities, but having that partnership where they they encounter a use case where they need a higher degree of expertise or they need to crowdsource you know, something or they want to reuse and, and move much more quickly. But in this case, they built something great that we could then extend across the enterprise for enterprise benefit. Wow. Wow. I'm curious, Jason, um, given the breadth and scale of, of sorry, your, your, your purview, how are you organized in terms of like, like who do you report to and, and kind of what does your team makeup look like? Good question. So I report to our CIO uh, for the Americas, uh, and she reports directly into the, the CEO for the company. Uh, within my organization, we've organized where we have the focused um, teams around data science, data engineering and business intelligence, data governance and data management, integration, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But really importantly, from the very beginning, we established these portfolio manager roles. And these are roles that are they're organized mm -hmm. by the business stakeholders. And so we have mm -hmm. for our core tire and business and operations. We have one for mobility solutions, as well as sustainability and product development. Uh, we also have for our retail organization and our marketing organization. So these are team members that come from a business background. They have depth of expertise in working with supply chain use cases, with merchandising use cases, et cetera. So they can really embed themselves with our business stakeholders. They can be that translator for what they're trying to do, what their challenges are, where they could use data to help improve you know, decisions they're trying to make. And then they come back to the team and they really are leading and guiding the work. So they're the funnel for demand intake and really that business valuation. They also are managing the work across the team. So we're allocating team members into more agile oriented teams to fulfill that work. And so, you know, a business stakeholder doesn't mm. need to worry about, is this a, a data science use case? Is it a, a business intelligence use case? Is Do I need data engineering? What's the role of data governance? They have this key partner that is acting as a, an account executive, a, con mm -hmm. a consultant, and an advisor to them, um, working with them on their strategy in the context for that business or functional area. That's, that's brilliant. So you're treating them as customers the things that you do in making it easy for them to to get, get value from from your organization exactly that's 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 brilliant um i got one last question for you jason sure. it's not on the list but i, I think you can <laughs> flow here <laughs> yes uh so uh we we got folks both experienced and and and, and not but there's always a, a you know if you're going to talk to your younger self when you first got the show, what would be a couple of things you would say, Jason, I'm telling you, you might want to do this, but don't do this, do this. What would be a, 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 some very practical sage advice for like the, the, the chocolate? Yeah, the lessons learned um, being in this role for coming up on three years, I'd say there's a couple things that we got right early on. 
One was really being intentional about the talent and culture strategy that we wanted to develop and form and really understanding different team members' strengths, um, where they would really be set up for success with uh, within the context. And the context here was we were a brand new functional area for the organization that hadn't existed. So we needed to move and act like a startup at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've had to, you know, kind of recognize that we've moved into new chapters of taking this and scaling it out further. But in those early days, really recognizing the situation we were in, which was a startup, which may be different for others who are listening in, who are inheriting a team or are part of a team that has existed for some time and is transforming mm-hmm. um, in different ways. But as a startup, that that was really important to us to think and act in that way and, and position people um, and, and embrace a, a culture that really inspired that. Uh, another, another key learning, uh, from the early part was really recognizing very quickly that need for that dual speed approach, because Mm. I took on the role and recognized the enterprise opportunity. We knew that we needed to deliver, we needed to deliver quick wins. We needed Mm -hmm. solutions and, and tools and a, and a, and a mindset that allowed us to recognize risk and areas of compromise for things that, you know, we eventually would build and have built into our, our target state reference architecture. But at the time they were concepts, right? They were, they hadn't been built yet or matured them to a place where they could be fully adopted. And so that was another key learning that I think we got right was trying to balance, you know, that the quick rapid delivery of value by having a longer term vision uh, for the organization. Some of the learnings um, and opportunities is there have been spaces where we probably could have leaned in and helped guide the organization um, to build out, you know, further maturity in things like market intelligence and market insights. Um, we we probably could have been earlier to the game to connect certain data elements um, that would have helped the organization move faster. We're doing those things now, but um, maybe uh, some of the regrets are anticipating some of those scenarios where you can connect the dots between organizations and you know the the opportunity that arises from giving better data access uh, between between entities that might be operating in silos. Um, I think we could have moved faster as an organization had we anticipated those earlier. Got it. Though that's those are uh, three tremendous sort of takeaways. Well, Jason, this has been fabulous. Uh, and uh, for those of you listening, uh, make sure you, you listen to the entire thing and, and make sure you read the accompanying write-up. Thank you, Jason, for joining me today. Please visit cdomagazine.tech for additional interviews. Take care, everyone. Thank you, Ben.